It's Dr. Tessa Dunlop on the show today, everybody. Dr. Tessa Dunlop is a royal historian. She knows all about the royals. She's written loads and loads of books on them, of which her latest, Elizabeth and Philip, the story of young love, marriage and monarchy is out now. So if you ever do anything, get that book or at least recommend it to friends. Get it for someone you know who's really interested in the royals because she deserves it. She's done a lot of work. She's been doing like a tour at the moment. You've probably seen her on Twitter or different social media screaming at or being screamed at, I should say, uh, by Piers Morgan and and, and having a big debate with Jeremy Kyle. Uh, These are big names in the UK, by the way, if you don't, maybe not in America. I think Piers Morgan is actually. Um, So she's been doing all of that, going on the rounds. And then she came on, she graced our little stage of On the Edge with Andrew Gold. Uh, We do share an agent. We are mates. We are friends. There'll be a slightly different tone to this but it was a lot of fun and oh I should say what it's about really I'm a minute in and I haven't even spoken about what this episode's about we are looking at the various ways that the royal family resembles a cult obviously that being quite a familiar topic on this podcast cults and things the royals being in the news we thought this would be interesting now of course cultishness as I've discussed before in this show particularly in that episode of Amanda Montel which I thought she was she was great cultishness is on a spectrum the etymology of the word cult is quite vague it's quite ambiguous we don't really know exactly what defines a cult so really i see it as a spectrum where you know scientology or uh, heaven's gate are like number 10 out of 10 and then everything else is somewhere between that so it's amazing how well the royal family fits into most of the sections of cultishness as you'll as you'll go to here go on to here i should say um but then, so do many things. So families, uh, football or soccer teams, they also fit them in different ways. So I think this is one of these things where uh, I think they are very cultish, but it's not necessarily always in a negative way. There's a lot of secrecy and things like that going on. There are a lot of protocols and a lot of weird, strange things that are unique to them. It doesn't mean that we're being negative about the royals. And I certainly wouldn't want people to think that Dr. Tessa Runlop, the royal historian, were being negative about the royals. Anyway... Please do enjoy this episode. I had a lot of fun and learned a lot of stuff about these people. They're really different. They're really different, interesting people, the royal family. Coming up is the second part of Erin Smith-Levin's story about leaving Scientology. We've got another bit he did uh, on Saturday about uh, Shelley Miscavige, the leader, David Miscavige's uh, wife, who has gone missing. Uh, Emma Thorne on atheism. Coleman Hughes is coming on, meeting in person for that one. And feminist... Helen Lewis is coming on, so it's all kicking off. But now you're on the edge of the cultish royal family with Tessa Dunlop. Dr. Tessa Dunlop. I've got Dr. Tessa Dunlop, a royal historian. We're going to be talking a little bit about the ways that the royal family might be a bit cultish. Now, I've said this before, being a bit cultish is not necessarily a bad thing before everyone goes berserk about everything. Uh, Everything's cultish from Jumba Juices to fitness gurus and stuff. All of those things are a bit cultish and it's fine. That's what community is. But there are some interesting little ways that the royal family acts in certain cultish ways. Um, and we were going to, well, should we just start with some of them, actually? Should we just go in with um, you talking to one about codified codified language? What kind of language does the royal family use that is just like their inner kind of language? Um, I'm going to suggest, in fact, tonight, funnily enough, I've just come from the Jeremy Kyle show. I didn't even know he had a show again, but he does, apparently. And I went on and I suggested 
that I was classier, posher than he was. And this caused great tension in the studio. In fact, they clipped it and put it on Twitter. Apparently, it's no good anymore, even when it's someone like Jeremy Kyle to suggest you might be classier than him. But I promise you, I probably know codes that he wouldn't know if we went uh, not just to meet royalty, but to ingratiate ourselves with their set. For example, when you get on a horse, Andrew, what are you doing? Um, I sort of a leg over. I mean, I've only done it like once in my life. No, what, what, what's that called? What's that called? When you go and recreationally, what Sad, do you do? Saddling, no, horse, horse riding. Question. Yeah, so you're common. You would be immediately sniffed out because you never go horse riding. You go riding if you're posh. I see. Now, I see. does your girlfriend, what does your girlfriend have on her shoulder with her makeup? I mean, maybe this is a conventional idea of a, of a girlfriend, but let's go back to the 1980s. What does your girlfriend have hanging off her shoulder with her, you know, little mirror and, and smartphone in? A, a handbag. No, it's a bag. It's never a handbag. So, so there is... There is these little, it's called you or non-you. There is little exclusive ways in which, and this become obviously much less important over the decade, but this codification, ways of working out how, when educated, well-bred. I mean, I can't believe you're encouraging me to share this stuff. It's just, I wish I didn't know it, but I do. So I, and I'm married to a Romanian immigrant. Do you know what I'm saying? So so I've chosen yeah. to reject it, but I, I know, you can't unknow what you know. Is that because you grew up super posh, Dr. Dunlop? No, funnily enough, I didn't. But my mum had ideas above her stations. And, um, and my dad, my dad's doc, my father, my grandfather was a physician to the queen and, and stuff. So, Bloody hell. Yeah, and actually he had got his leg over with an aristo when he was married, I subsequently discovered. Anyway, whatever. I don't know if he needed codified language for that, but that, that's another story. But, but, and, and what this does is it discriminates. It doesn't mean you act on the discrimination, but class and the higher up into those sort of weird lofty uh, stra stratas, which many of which, of course, have been sort of removed and, and debunked and, you know, you no longer sit in the Lords and all your assets have been stripped, but it's still kind of baked into the way of thinking. And that's why Kate Middleton had such a tough time, really, when she first entered the royal family. Even now, she's seen as too effortful. She, uh, by all accounts, um, swapped universities. So she was originally intended for Edinburgh, and she discovered William was going to St Andrews, and so off she went to St Andrews instead. You know, she, she that, that you know, one can't ever be seen to be effortful if one is in the upper tiers of the aristocracy. But I absolutely loathe the way in which. There are these codes and, and giveaway signs. The other one is, if you can't hear what I'm saying, Andrew, what do you say to me? Um, I say, what? Actually, that's better than saying pardon. <laughs> pardon. We don't say pardon. The height of common. No. You say, sorry, what did you say? You would never go, pardon? <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's ridiculous. So if by, def by if what you're suggesting, cult is a cult, and actually, just before we go into the word cult, which I don't approve of, and the royal family isn't a cult, by the way, because it doesn't matter how cultish you feel about them, you can't get in unless they want to get their leg over you. Um, so quite literally, unless you become the next Meghan or Kate. Um, so what I was trying to say was th th there is 
extra etiquette, you know, around curtsy, who do you curtsy in front of? What title do you use? So the whole thing is hidebound in code and manners. And I once said to a very left-wing vicar that my agent had said the only thing important for children to be equipped with was to be kind and to be well-mannered. And he took real exception to that because he said, no, but manners are taught and you have to have a teacher. But the manners are quite important for these people. And although you're right that they, you can't sort of get in unless you get your, them, their legs over you, there are, from what you said, no, no, it's right. It's, it's, you, that sounds right. But I mean, it, there are a lot of uh, comparisons to Scientology. I mean, famously, um, one of Tom Cruise's ex-girlfriends said, well done. She said very well done to him. And in Scientology, that's not said to somebody who is your, uh, above you. So Tom Cruise got her to um, clean the bathroom with a toothbrush as punishment. Um, there are things. No. Yeah. But did she, did she say this in the context of being in the land of Scientology? Or did she say it just well done because you acted well? Because he's quite a good actor. No, he had won a Scientology award. So she said very well done. And which is what you do say in Scientology, but you can't say it to people above you. So he, she was out. The other reason she was out is because the leader of Scientology, David Miscavige, um, when he spoke to her, she didn't always understand because she was British. Her name's Nazanin Bonyadi, a uh, British actress who was dating Tom Cruise for a while. She was chosen by Scientology and um, he, she couldn't always understand what he said. And in Scientology, again, one of these protocols or these weird things, it's very, very important that you be really clear so the idea that the leader wasn't being able to be understood by her, that was like a no-no. So she was out, she was scrubbing toothbrush floors and things and that kind of thing. But Tom Cruise, though, meanwhile, in another potential cult, you don't think it's a cult, I don't really either, but I think there are cultish elements. He was recently, during the Top Gun thing, he sort of took Kate by the hand, which a lot of people, they were fine with it, it seemed, but a lot of people said that was against protocol. Well, and we know, I don't know, I'm rather tired tonight, uh, Andrew, because I've been up for the last 24 hours, not only reading, but then verbally dissecting with class, my classy friend, Jeremy Kyle, and others, um, the new book Spare, um, sadly, stretching the sails of mine by quite some measure. Um, uh, and uh, in that, um, he constantly makes reference to the fact that there's no real significant physical contact within his family, his royal family, and um, cites... Megan, when she first meets William, I think he's, he's a bit unnecessarily cruel about his brother. I mean, siblings are a bit of a picnic, aren't they? But you, you keep, I, I think it's best not to overshare that, but whatever, leave them to it. I'm not going to cast judgment on, on the morality of Harry's gig, but I will say that Megan goes to hug him in a kind of all-American woo, and, uh, and William's a bit taken aback. And, um, and, and I can't remember exactly what Harry writes. He goes, maybe he even expected a title, maybe he expected he expected her to, to, to address him with his title. I mean, which I thought, again, was a little bit bitchy of Harry. It's like, because these guys are born into the system and if they don't believe in it, how can we be expected to believe in it? So there has to be a bit of baked in belief. And then the really successful imports like Kate Middleton, who, as I've discussed, doesn't come from the toppest toppy tier. I mean, actually, the Channel 4 once did a documentary about Meet the Middletons, and I don't know, some one of our random cousins had a chip shop or something up north. <laughs> um, and bless him, or bless her, rather. And her mum, of course, famously was at Cruise Cabin Door. You know, she was an air hostess before she made good with party pieces or whatever the farm's called. So not quite top draw. And as a result, Kate, she's public school educated, of course, and so she's really studied and believes in the forms and etiquette. So if you watch... Um, she always did a beautiful and very deep curtsy in front of the Queen in a way that some of the family members are a bit like, yeah, whatever. 
you know, Stephanie's, Stephanie's. And likewise now with Queen Consort Camilla, Kate again, I've always done Bob's down very, very nicely. You probably wouldn't notice these things, but I can't help but observe. <laughs> so she's, Kate is very, very, as an import, she's very, very uh, strictly adhering yeah. to the protocol. And I'm sure she never says pardon or horse riding or refers to a handbag. Whereas Megan comes in, and, and I think the big problem, am I allowed to say this? Because I know you told me not to talk too much. Well, I stopped now to let you speak. Now I sound like a tyrant. I'm like a tyrant shouting. Tessa and I have a have a, a kind of uh, a, a relationship, a friendship where we where we rib each other in in a way that I might not had had Tessa been uh, uh, just someone I didn't know very well who I was inviting to the show. We share an agent, as I said, and since I first met her, she's been giving me all this. That's all this clients. She's doing all that anyway. So. No, no. What would we? Oh God! You, I mean, lose my train of So I was going to say, Megan. Megan, the thing. Okay, so, go so there's two sides to this. She... There's two sides to this. On the one hand, the royal family is a bit is a bit stuffy, right? They are a bit, and it is a bit cultish. I think that is cultish. The firm, they, like you said, they are a bit. The family, they're all. You, Why is it cultish? Well, that's one aspect. Why is it cultish to be stuffy? It's cultish to have your own mannerisms that, like, everybody has to adhere to, and if they don't, they get shunned or in trouble or castigated. That's the culture side. That's the thing. You don't necessarily get shunned, but secretly <laughs> they would have clocked it. So I don't think the queen would have ever been unkind to you. I mean, that would have not been classy. If you said, pardon, <laughs> she wouldn't have gone, God, common, pardon, and I'll chop off his head. Yeah. That's, that wouldn't be a style. But she couldn't have helped but note it. And it would have given away something. So sometimes when I'm with posh people, I use all those words just to see what they do. Your I family. Guess, oh, pardon? And yeah, yeah, well, I just because just I know that they will be immediately making a judgment about me and I kind of want them to just to be subversive. Wow. What a, way, what a posh way to be subversive, I suppose. So there is that. And then so how that touching things really into, I was going to say the other side of it is like, well, you are joining this cult. You're Meghan Markle, right? You sort of know. I mean, I know nothing about the royal family, relatively. I'd certainly know less than she would have known after like her first few dates when she actually met them. I wouldn't just jump on William if I was dating Harry. That just seems like like she's being provocative. Maybe she is a little presumptuous, but again, this is about culture, not cult. And I don't know how many listeners or viewers you have in America, but Most. Meghan Markle is the product of a very sharp elbowed industry. And yeah, I think her dad was a lighting technician. I mean, he certainly wasn't from the slum um, and there was a bit of money, but, but she was in no way classy. So she's the very opposite of the so-called effortless upper classes. The whole point is you must never seem to be vulgar or to be chasing money. It's just, that's the very definition of entitled, isn't it? You know, you're born with it and therefore you don't need to try too hard. Whereas Megan, from the get-go, she's like, I want to be an actress. I want to be this. So she is ambitious. And actually, I think in Britain, especially when it's associated with women, we regard the idea of ambitious women as, as vulgar, uncomfortable, something that, that we're not necessarily comfortable or okay with. Not so, so Megan comes in representing all these things, and that's a big threat. And I thought we went down the race rabbit hole. Now, here am I as a white woman, so I don't, I, mean, I, I don't really want to get into that a bit because I don't feel sufficiently equipped. But I felt as somebody who was watching and consuming and sometimes even contributing to the mega narrative that the biggest difference was this effortful American showy culture where you wear your hard work on your sleeve, you wear your success on your sleeve. With the upper classes in England, it's very much, you know, naturally, we're born with this, darling. And so that was her thing. I, so I, res I do respect that. And you're right. And I actually respect that more. I remember Ricky Gervais said a similar thing about the difference between British and Americans. That in America, you are sort of allowed to be ambitious. And in the UK, we have to hide it. And I didn't actually think about, and I don't think Ricky did either, 
what you've just said, the reason being you're supposed to just have it. I didn't think about that. So that's a really interesting point. Um, but, but the problem I have with Megan, and I, I guess we shouldn't labor too long on this because I want to stick to the culty side, but my problem with it is like she said in her podcast with- Is she a witch? That's what Harry said in the Cooper. Then if you watch the Cooper Anderson uh, interview that he did, it was the C- CBS, I think. Right. And um, he said that, you know, after Harry is finding himself, you know, his true love. So um, uh, Cooper is Changwing. And Harry does have these flashes of charisma. You know, he sometimes just, you think, oh my goodness, we're back with Diana. Oh no, she's got ginger hair and had a sex change. And he said, um, and he leant in in that way that you do when you're trying to win your interviewer. Like I'm leaning into you now. I mean. Yes. And he said, you know, people started asking me, is she a witch? Is that a witch? You know, and it was just a gift moment where you could really see people sort of thinking that in Britain, like, how he's changed. My God. And even two days ago, quite eminent historians, like public historians are saying, oh, this is it's so sad to see Harry's interview. This is coercive control. Mm. That's Guy Walters, like he went to Eton and I don't know, I mean, I don't know how good a historian is. I've never read everything he says, but he has quite a lot of traction. He gets a lot of work. And there he is suggesting that because Harry isn't saying what he wants to hear, because Harry's not acting in the way that we expect royalty to act, he must be being controlled by a witch. So you're right to suggest that maybe that the but, but the here that the idea posited is is when you leave the institution that it becomes cultish, not that the institution is a cult. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, no, it does. But I think the culty bit are the supporters on either side. I think that is culty and weird, the trolling and and the venomosity <laughs> another aspect is it being difficult to leave that's one of the hallmarks of cults it i've watched the crown right it wasn't that easy for diana to leave right it's not that easy if megan for megan and harry to leave but it's not the hardest thing ever what, where do you stand on that well it's quite hard to leave a job isn't it a really 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 well-paid job with all the trimmings and the extras and the platforms and no worry about what you're going to do tomorrow because it's all done for you. And you've even got your own PR team and everything's paid for. So that would be hard for anyone to leave. And then it is part of your own DNA. It's not just bricks and mortar and palaces. It's also part of your blood. It's like all your family members are around you. So which bit of that? It's hard to leave your family. It's hard to leave your job. It's hard to leave your home. This is all bricked into the institution of monarchy. It's hard to leave status platforms so yeah and actually you can go further back in history the duke of windsor gave up being king abdicated in 1936 he led a very pointless privileged life and he was so upset because his wife wallace simpson american divorcee spot the trend was never given an hrh title and he was really livid about this because if you're born into the system you believe in the system and therefore you care about the system and therefore when you talk about people leaving the royal family are they leaving of their own volition? He didn't really want to leave. He wanted to marry Wallace Simpson and be king. Do you see the issue? Andrew? Yeah. So if you're saying, it's, I don't like maybe other cults that you're, you talk about, people are keen to leave. They feel addicted. They feel, but, but and, and why is it hard to leave? Why is it hard to leave? Because then they feel like they're freewheeling outside an institution because they don't have the structure. I don't know. Why would a cult be hard to leave? But for Harry, he's not just leaving one institution, which is the royal family, incidentally. He's leaving the British army, another thumping great institution with quite a lot of, I would think, cult practices to make sure, you know, you've got to act as one, you're homogenized, you have to do that brutal training, you have to take the hit for the en- you know, against the enemy for king or queen and country. And he's also left Eton College, arguably the biggest cult of the lot. 
So that's three massive institutions that propped up and formed his young existence that he's without. So he, he'll be feeling, certainly feeling kind of weird, I think, on the outside. And I think clearly put all his energies into this book. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about, but in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. So this this is the thing. One of the things you said while talking about how hard it is to to leave, you said you're born into this system of beliefs and you have to believe in that system of beliefs. That sounds to me very cultish, being born into something and you don't really, you know, the outside world. Isn't that a bit culty? Well, that, what's really interesting here is that I, I'm a, I'm a royalist. I've written my own little book about royalty and um, I, I've, you know, I've done a PhD on, on royal imaging and all that sort of thing. And I kind of know that they, because they're born in a goldfish bowl and because every one of their public moves is tracked and we're always trying to get private information out of them and literally is a press pack that is sort of like slime on the exterior of their lives, just trying to feed off any crumb. They're like sort of mollusks or something, literally. I, sometimes I see them and I think, how can you, I mean, I'm bad enough. You're narrating and carping away in the background. But if you're part of the, the rotor, the press, I mean, that's kind of a weird existence, isn't it? Feeding, you know, devouring any little crumb of 
of uh, discomfort or comfort. The, the, the more uncomfortable, the better. But because of that, the royal family really value their privacy, which is why anyone who has spilled the beans, whether it's a valet. By the way, is it a valet or a valet? I'd like someone to tell me that because I had a row tonight on live on television. Which would you say? I would say, I'd say valet. Yeah, I said valet and I was corrected on air, which was quite humiliating. Valet. But again, um, that's just, that's, that's the royal press fact for you. They're always going, it's always one upmanship. Oh my God. So if, whether you're a nanny or a valet, or, yeah, I was corrected on it. Whether you're a, a valet or a, 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 a nanny or, a, or an ex-king, when you then write a biography about behind the scene, that scene is like the ultimate betrayal because it's the one thing they have that no one else has and that no one else gets to see. So when I'm reading Harry's book, Spare, I'm like, oh my God, Harry, I almost feel guilty reading it. I'm like, I shouldn't know this stuff. Okay, aside from William's circumcision, actually, and his virginity, I didn't really care about that as much as just little bits about the minutiae of their lives, the queen wearing earbuds uh, during her Golden Jubilee um, uh, uh, concert outside Buckingham Palace. So she's listening to Brian May and she's tapping away with her foot and everything. And, And Harry's thinking, oh my goodness, Granny, how are you managing to go this long with this really loud music? And then he notices that in her ear, she's got little yellow ear, but she can't hear anything, but she's just, you know, controlling the image, looking like she's lapping it up. And I sort of think, oh, and then there's lots of things that I felt I shouldn't know because I know that that was just between the family. And, and then I think, oh my God, I've been trained. I am, really am a royal historian. I'm not even a good historian anymore because I feel it too deeply. And maybe that is, is that odd, but, but we're born, we too are part of this yeah. cult because we're born into a monarchy. We're part of a monarchy. You're a subject, Andrew. I'm a subject. Oh I'm my subject. God. I never think about it like that. I just never, I don't think enough about them, I suppose. But what well, I do these days, I certainly do. It's interesting though, what you say about like the minutia and the details and the little bits and pieces that you're not supposed to know. Because again, if I keep, I'll keep bringing back to this, because I, I am starting to think at the beginning, I thought maybe it's not that cultish. And the more that we're talking is I'm actually hearing things. And again, you could say that anything is a cult, like a family itself, any family, you don't want secrets getting out, right? So there is a bit of that in every family and it's all on the spectrum. But that is similar to, again, Scientology. You you couldn't have someone writing a book about what's going on inside there. They won't even answer you if you ask them. I've seen Tom Cruise on interviews and people say, what is it? And he goes, well, you got to find out, don't you? You got to find out. And people go, yeah, but what is it? Well, yeah, yeah. You just come and find out because they want you to come and pay. So that's the difference, right? But you got to go and pay and you got to get all the books. That's Yeah. So that's what it is. The difference is the royal family don't want you anywhere near them. Mm, but they do want you to pay through taxes. <laughs> Ta- they want you to pay for their boat, for example. That was in the crown. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, that, they, they miss their boat. They, they loved them. I mean, she, the queen loved the yacht. <laughs> I think she loved inanimate objects, dogs and horses. Yeah. So, but, but, but uh, I don't know. They, they, want, they want the bond with the people because without that, what is there? They, they, want, the, they want to retain their position. I don't think they want the money. I mean, they've got private estates and riches beyond our wildest dreams. You've got the Duchy of Cornwall. You've got Sandringham as a private pad. You've got Buckingham Palace as a, not Buckingham Palace. You've got Balmoral as a private pad. And then all the Crown Estates, of course, which bunk up the money that goes into the Queen's sovereign grant. So I don't think it's ever done for money because they've now not had money. So they don't really understand the value of money. It's about position. They traded their political power in the 19th century for popularity. And how do you maintain popularity. You're this dog ordinary family. I mean, you're extraordinary, but you're also pretty ordinary. Another one of Harry's great problems. Why is everyone looking at me? Because I'm just like Harry. Oh no. And then he got a big complex because like, he's just Harry. It would be different if everyone was trying to take pictures of me because I was a Spice Girl. 
you know, could I have done something? But I'm just Harry. It's, it's, a, it's a total, it's a mind bend. Um, and the point I'm trying to make is, finish off the sentence for me because I've got lot lost thinking about how weird it all is. I'm going to, I will, I will. I've, what I want to do is go over to, to what is seen as like the doctrine of cultishness. It's a guy called Stephen Hassan, who was a former Mooney, Mooney sorry, he was a former Mooney, you know, the Unification Church where all the weddings and stuff. And then he became, he's like the guy who now talks about cult and coercive control. He's coming on this podcast quite soon, actually. And he's got something called the bite model, which is behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotional control. And these are like the tenets of cultness. So if we look, I, I think maybe we can sort of tick off a few things. So because under each subheading of behavior, information, thought, and emotional, he's got like lots of these different uh, things. So for example, behavior control is, is controlling sort of when, how, and with whom uh, the member has sex. That's quite an interesting cultish thing. Does that does that ring bells? Well, I mean, that was quite controlled until recently. <laughs> I mean, you know, Diana had to be a virgin. I mean, it was all a bit weird, you know. Uh, Camilla had been around the houses a bit too too often. Yeah. I mean, she was also married, and conveniently, by the time Charles, I think, woke up and smelt the coffee and realized he wanted to marry her. But but certainly, um, the uh, uh, legally you had to get permission from the monarch if you wanted the heir to the throne wanted to marry under the age of 25. So Elizabeth had to get permission from her father to marry Philip. So that's controlling. And you couldn't, she couldn't possibly have been soiled goods. You couldn't take a risk outside of marriage and have sex. Um, th this changes, of course. It's it, weird to think of them having sex. Yeah, we'll try not to. Mm. Uh, that would be my recommendation. One um, But well, <laughs> one does try. Um, they did have quite a lot of sex. I mean, they have four children. Yeah. Yes. Oh and my she god. Definitely fancy. So at least four times. Yeah. Although they slept. Go on. Mm. They slept in separate rooms. You know yes. that, don't you? Yeah. The the Queen and Philip. Um, and we know that they used to have adjoining um boudoirs, and then their their dressing tables. But they'd have kissing dressing tables through the the folding doors. Um, and they were occasionally caught in bed together early in the morning. But I think Philip probably had a healthy sexual appetite. So I mean, I, you can just tell by looking at him. I think the whole thing's so weird. He sort of kept his figure. I mean, we just to go on to can we just briefly go down a rabbit hole of heterosexual men? Because I don't really often find heterosexual men over the age of forty who retain the same waistline on their head when they were nineteen, unless they're quite heavily into body image. And Philip, I think it'd be fair to say, was heavily into body image. Yeah, and I we, we could wonder why. Wonder why. Okay, well, uh, well, we're going to get onto that. We're going to get onto that with behavior control as well. We're still on behavior. It's the first part of the bite model. Um, but, but also that image of the, the dressing table. I find it so funny. I remember Robbie Williams say, talking about he, had, he ends up with a mansion and he looked out the house like in the morning and look out and see like 40 cars in the car park and think like, none of those people are my family. There's like 30 people in the kitchen. He's like, these are not my family. So weird living with these like people who are not your family who are like working for you. So for, like to, um, weird like, Prince Philip thinking, oh, I think I'm going to stay over and sleep in the bed tonight after being on this weird dressing table <laughs> thing. And then people are going to find me in the morning. And it's just really odd. I want to, but I do want to get on to, um, so I was going to not even ask this because I didn't think it would be relevant, but. Sometimes they had a bobo. She had a, when they first got married, they had to live in Buckingham Palace because Clarence House had been bombed in the war. This is just in 1947, 48. And um, Bobo, the Queen's sort of Scottish puritanical dresser, was used to bathing the queen, you know, the, the princess as she was then. And um, a few times Bobo 
I think caught them in the bar. Oh my god, it's so weird. I just there's a comment from Sonia saying on the side, "You people are not discussing the royal cult. We are we are supposed to keep to the topic, aren't we? And we are keeping to the topic. It's part of it. It's part of the behavioural control. Speaking of behavioural control, Sonia, bloody hell, Dumb. she sounds quite cultish. Yeah, yeah. I'm quite scared. Behavior, of Sonia. Yeah, control goodness, regulating. Me, okay, so another one yeah. regulating diet. So I wasn't even going to mention that's another part of behavioural control. But it sounds like Prince Philip uh, was quite involved. Oh hmm. wow. Prince Philip was, the both of them were very abstemious. I mean, if you think they were the most photographed couple in the world, Elizabeth and Philip, he was hugely bodily. He used to wear three jerseys and go jogging around and around the house to lose weight. And latterly, he um, tried to avoid carbohydrates, so he mainly would eat proteins. And he was not a heavy drinker, he'd have the odd beer and a little glass of wine. Uh, the Queen was, uh, I think, more freewheeling with her diet. I mean, she was sort of a bit more curvy when she, she had quite a big bust. And originally, a little ways, she was always famous for always. But she loved um, high tea, which is, again, quite a posh thing, because in the nursery, when you're brought up, of course, that's the big meal, the nursery tea. She loved cakes and toast. And Philip never touched anything like that. He just had a cup of tea. He really was properly vain, Philip, less as any doubt. I know someone who met him on a very cold winter day when he was in his 90s, and everyone else was in sort of, you know, puffers and, 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 and woolly hats. And Philip was like toughing out in a shirt. You know? <laughs> So and, and, this, and, and, and all the kind of, you know, millennials were like, well, what's doing? Why doesn't he just put a coat on? <laughs> okay, next, next thing. We're still on the first part, behavioral control, uh, restrict leisure, entertainment and vacation time. I'm sure Diana would have had something to say about that. Oh, yeah. Well, they are restricted because they have a timetable, but we're all restricted. So we're all in this, some kind of cult of capitalism. I mean, it, it depends how many layers you want to peel away. That, I think Megan clearly chafed against the controls of the regime, didn't she? you know, having had her freedom, or at least um, her own career and so forth in Hollywood, then suddenly she finds herself, you know, restricted by great teams and, and control and tours. And is that culty? Or is that building? But the, you're, you could say they're building, they're building the brand of royalty. And that's what they're constantly doing. They're, or they're maintaining it. They're trying to top it up. And at the moment, I think they're probably in damage limitation mode. Because you don't ever want to see under your reign popularity seep away. Then you would, you know, that, that, and, and inevitably that happens in the modern era because this cult is one based on some kind of a divine idea of, you know, God, the queen, the divine right. There's a mythical, mystical element to royalty. If you really yes. believe, if you're a beaver believer, you're a real diharmonicist, you genuinely believe they are different from us in some way. They're chosen ones. True believers. A true believer. You, I think you're probably nearly an atheist, whereas I am a believer light. Okay, in, in the monarchy. Yes, not in you. Yeah, yeah I, in thought, the, in the I thought you meant in God or something. But okay, these are also, you know, discourage individualism, encourage groupthink, impose rigid rules and regulations. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All of those things, um, because this is one of the problems with Megan, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, instilled dependency and obedience, and she didn't want to do it. Well, Look, let's look, go back to the Kate and, and Meghan model. And I know people are that sexist, but clearly if you read Spare, by the way, that's where quite a lot of the issues lay was between the two, not just the they were at the time. Now, um, Kate spent her entire childhood and upbringing in the public school system. Her parents' success was rewarded by being able to pay for these thumping great public schools. I think she went to Marlborough. I can't remember, but I think she did. And then she goes to a classic, St. Andrew's, a classic uh, British ancient university. So um, she's training almost and she acquires accomplishments. She plays the piano beautifully. You know, she can do rock climbing. She has lots of things. She has these perfectly princess-like accomplishments that one would expect uh, a girl from the upper classes to have had perhaps even 200 years ago. And that certainly she's able to wow us with today. She does a bit of light photography. Um, whereas 
Megan comes from a totally different system. She comes from America. She, I think she probably did go to fee-paying school, but definitely not a private one. Certainly not one that revered the queen and thank God save the queen at the end of term and stuff like that. So she's totally untrained. She's not institutionalized. Anyone, I don't know if anyone listening has been to a boarding school, but if you go into a boarding school late, I, most boarding school back in the day, you went to a preparatory school, which literally prepared you to board. I think preparatory schools prepare you for the education of life. I don't know. But anyway, I always read it to be preparing you for the biggest school, the Etons of this world. If I didn't go to a preparatory school, and when I got dropped into boarding school from a state school age 15, I was chaos. I kept on being suspended because I couldn't see the point in rolling up my trousers or unrolling them, sorry. I couldn't see the point of the really ridiculous pettifogging rules and the nonsense that clogged up the way that these, this school was run. And it's just like Megan being dropped in quite old. She's late thirties into a system and she's like, what's the point in all of this? What is the point? So she's seeing it with outsider eyes. Whereas Kate from a young child is in born into the British monarchy, into our country, our culty country with the beliefs as a subject, an obedient subject in a inculcated in an institution, which is right of center, it's a private school, deferential. By definition, you have to be. Otherwise, how do these schools work? And so she's perfectly trained. No wonder she's the ideal princess yeah. of Wales. Well, this is, okay, so then and let me read these out because I want to get through these ones just quickly. But this is the T in bite, uh, thought control. And number one in that is require members to internalize the group doctrine as truth, adopting the group's map of reality as reality, change a person's name and identity, which they do, use loaded language and cliches, uh, encourage only good and proper thoughts. Um, and, and then it does get a bit further. It, you know, memories are manipulated and uh, teaching thought stopping techniques, which I think that probably goes a bit far for uh, the royal family. No, that, that goes a bit far. But you, uh, what, what was the one there about memories are manipulated? I mean, there we had this is a very controversial thing in the Oprah interview where Megan says, you know, I wasn't allowed to seek help for my depression. Well, he didn't make that claim again, by the way, in his book, Harry. Um, Clearly, she felt she was being a bit controlled. Uh, perception sometimes isn't reality, but this is their truth. Um, so I think there are suggestions, aren't there, that Megan felt she was being restricted and she wasn't in control. And there were also outside forces, which was the press. So you can make some neat parallels. But the difference is, I, surely, that you and me can't join this cult unless, of course, we marry into the royal family. We can't actually join it. So surely that precludes it from being a cult. Well, well, I don't see anything as far as I can see in the bite model about evangelizing. I don't think that all cults, like the Illuminati, for example, you couldn't join that necessarily, but it's still a cult. It's just the members who are already within it, you know? Is there, I'm wondering, so one of the cults I'm thinking of is Nixium, and it's the same with Scientology in most of these cults, that you have like an outer layer that you you can join into, but there's also like a different inner layer. With Nixium, it was, and I, I don't want to say words like, I can't even say bloody like sex nowadays because it gets it taken off of YouTube. Why not? But, uh, it's YouTube's ridiculous policies. It's YouTube stricter than podcasting. Much, is it? much, much stricter. You've got to be really, and I should, I should have actually is told it? you, luckily you haven't said anything bad, but words like the R word for like a, if somebody attacks you sexually, those kinds of words we can't say. Uh, somebody in the comments at one point mentioned the guy, the, the the former comedian who passed away and did those horrible things to uh, young people. Who said, "Now then, now then, 
like even his name will get this whole thing like like taken off. No, that's how mad it is. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I've been complaining about it for days. Though it is mad. But um, what was I going to say about it? Oh yeah, so is there like an inner sanctum once you're so there's because there are like the Eugenies and all these people, and then there's like an inner sanctum. But, uh, but no, I think more pernicious. I'm I'm a monarchist. No, I can't sure. Use the word pernicious. You brainwashed to me, Andrew, with your Republican ways. Are you a monarchist, by the way? I think you're no. not, are you? I think no. I, oh, I'm on. I'm sort of on the fence. I would say I I I, I don't. I, I can see the arguments of both sides. I think you'd miss it if it went. If we were just Maybe. some little re- British Republic. Maybe. It'd be rubbish. Maybe. I like being a monarchist. I don't, but I, it doesn't sit well with me, and I'm sure you agree with this as well, because it is two sides. It doesn't sit well with me, the idea of just this family born into infinite wealth uh, who seem to somehow be in charge of everything. But at the same time, I do get what you're saying as well. It does bring sort of decoration and nice... You know. <laughs> yeah, and I would absolutely hate to be King Charles, because... We like, don't we like, I mean, surely when your YouTube account grows by four Gross. followers, how many has it got now? Five. Um, you, you feel you've achieved something. You know, I was born with nothing. I'm, yeah. I'm just this poor yeah. boy, yeah. you know, couldn't get mainstream media attention <laughs> set up my, you know, yeah. and then you're growing and each day you feel you've achieved. I agree. And Charles, Charles doesn't have that. He's actually discouraged from work or certainly from opining or, oh. or, or trying to spread his ideas or, or have influence. Because he's just the heir to the throne. And even when he eventually gets there, oh, well, he was born into it, you know, whatever. And, and how do you be a good king? You be a good king with, to not have an opinion, to be above politics. So in fact, it's very counter to modern ways of thinking about the meritocracy and how we all try and self-better. And that's, again, one of the struggles that's internalized in Harry's book. You know, what do you do if you're born into this family? How do you sell yourself to yourself? So I kind of almost pity them because they're not able to do that in the way that we can. Kate Middleton can, because oh, I married up. It's easier as an incomer than it is if you're born into yeah, it. You've got yeah. this heavy burden. And arguably, it's easier for William and Charles because it's such a battle to keep the monarchy going now because it's the modern sort of waves of identity culture and who the hell do they think they are. Whereas Harry, a spare, it's like, what do I do? I'm just a spare wheel. I'm floating around. You know, if ever I do anything really well, I show up the main guy. And if I fail, well... You know, so does anyone care? So I just so so I think I can't remember the question now, but I think um, no, no, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. What you were going to say about memories and things with Megan, like that, the the way it's about going on therapy and stuff. Like yeah, that. but it was just it was just that idea that they're really lucky. I think I wanted to counter that the idea that oh, they're so you know it's counter to today's thinking and democracy that you just have this family that have got it all. But in a way, I genuinely wouldn't like to be a member of the royal family. But I was going to say, you, you talked about the being, you know, layers of the cult. So you're in the inner circle or the, the outer circle. But rather than seeing Eugenie or, or non-working royals or those without titles as being the outer layer, no, I think they're kind of irrelevant. They're just kind of playmates and, 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 and um, cocktail hangers. I think the real culty ones are the households, the people who choose and get selected to work for the royal family. And actually, there's a wonderful quote by James Pope Hennessy that I'm going to have to look up for. You'll have to take over the talking. Where in the 1950s, well, if you let me, yeah, okay, you can talk a bit now. I might, I, I'm, contro- I'm controlling this cult, and you're allowed to talk as my subject. Yeah, no, it is interesting. While you search for it, I'll just, I'll just again say to everyone, you know, we're here talking about royal family and cults. If you just joined us, and how the royal family in some ways resembles cults in certain ways. Tess is a bit of a royalist; she's a royal expert, but but I, I don't think you're like fully into it. And 
And I think I am, uh, I'm on the fence about it, I suppose. I don't really mind either way. It, 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 I find the, the whole thing a bit preposterous, but I suppose it's nice to have all the decorum and the fun and the weird stuff. No, if, if you're looking for me to tell you why monarchy has a value, because you clearly don't know. I do I'm, know. So I'm just going to explain. I can tell you. Do you? Why does Several reasons. Have a One, tell because me, it means we me don't, uh, the parliamentary mm. system means we don't have a president, which means it's less likely to be a populist. Although the last, well, Boris arguably was one, but we've, we very rarely have populist uh, because it's not about the one person. We've got a whole parliament because the, royal, the, the monarchy's in charge. Also, I saw this great video by Stephen Fry talking about levels of happiness around the world. And the countries that have monarchies tend to at least self-assess themselves as much happier than other countries. Well, that's a, the, the second point is, is very interesting. And I think we do like a focal point, something to wave a flag at. I do think the heartbeat behind the palace walls, and that's why I wish we'd be a little bit more gentle and careful. Scrutinise, yes, but be a little bit more careful about our, our royal family and our royal narrative. But um, to go back to the real value, what I see the real value is that you keep the ceremonial separate from the political. So what you don't want I mean, you do get populist prime ministers. There's no getting away from that. And increasingly with 24-7 media, our prime ministers become a personality above the party system, which is why there was all this hoo-ha over the Conservative Party selecting their own prime ministers this summer. But, um, but what the monarch does is it takes up all the ceremonial space and has no real political bite. And that means you don't get the likes of Boris Johnson masquerading in a golden carriage and we don't wave our flags at him. I don't want what the Americans have, which is like an elective kingship where you have your White House in which you have the president and your president gets on this big fancy claim. All of that makes me uncomfortable. I'd rather the baubles and the ceremonial were shoved over and maintained by this toothless House of Windsor. Let me just get the quote, though, on the people who hang around. I think that is right. I guess the other side to that is just you do sometimes, at least if the crown, the series is at all accurate, you do get a bit of meddling. And we know that Prince... Prince Charles with Blair was getting involved, wasn't he? So, and it's just like, well, why should okay ceremonial? But they can't actually have a, a they shouldn't actually have an audience with the prime minister. It's ridiculous, and and the prime minister ends up being quite submissive to them. So those, I see both sides of that, you know. Ah, but I think it's very good that the prime minister has someone to bend his knee oh, to, well, yeah. especially someone as cocky as Blair. It should be us. Bend, bend your right. knee to us, not to bloody monarchs well they should be but they're not I, i'm a monarchist so you're not going to move me on that and i still can't find this quote but he basically said the index has been very badly done in my book um he basically said beware the royal hangers-on who cling like fungus um to the sides of the organization Wait, who said that james pope hennessy was a wonderful biographer and observer and, and historian was a writer um in the 1950s who was the, the authorized biography of queen mary so he got a lot of access and he referred to them as this obsequious um, fungus almost that sort of believed way too deeply in royalty. Royalty themselves can wear it lightly because they're born to it. But people who actually work for it, yes, mom, no, mom, you know, they're given their, their order at the end of their service. That's where I find it not culty, but it is a belief. I think you have to really believe. And I worked at Windsor Castle with Time Team years ago. We went to dig up the lawn at Windsor Castle to see if there was any gold. I think we were looking for. King Arthur's, I don't know, what does this mystery cakes or something? I don't know what we were looking for. We didn't, a round table, that's it, a round table. We didn't find it. But um, the, 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 the star, well, I mean, burgeoning some of them. I mean, maybe they've all changed now, but they were pretty pole up the bottom staff. You know, they, they really believed in the system. Don't do that. Don't do this. Get off the grass. Duck it with, I was like, whoa. 
I, I was quite taken aback. It was, it was like going back in time, sort of lying the witch in the wardrobe stuff. And, and, and they really believe in it. They believe in it. That seems, see, that does seem a bit, so there are definitely elements of it. And I think that's what you and I went into this thinking as well. There are elements of consciousness, but there are elements of consciousness in lots of things. The last part of that bite model is emotional control. So I'll read a few of those out, but just manipulate and narrow the range of feelings. Some emotions are, seemed, are deemed as wrong. Teach emotion-stopping techniques to block feelings of homesickness, anger, and doubt. Uh, make the oh well. If you if you go into if you go into Harry's book, that that he can't even hug his grandmother. You know, Charles instead of having parents had a tragic teddy bear that he took with him to Gordonston. But that's again the, this the boarding school culture. That's a lot of upper class thinking around that. You know. But do you think the the amount of things, Tessa, that that we've that I've been just like reading off. And this is like the sort of traditional staple of cults. And almost every one you've been like, oh, well, yeah. Do, do you feel 49 minutes in that they're a little bit further on the spectrum than maybe you thought at the beginning? I feel like I'm on the spectrum after the last week of talking about <laughs> Harry and Meghan on a new <laughs> Oh, a good way of dodging the question. You, you've got to be wary. You don't, I know you don't, want to, you don't have to say it in a negative way, I guess. I guess you're, you're, you're wary because your, main, your fan base must be quite um, monarchy-ish. No, uh, I'm... I'm What's very interesting is I'm seen as a contrarian yes. and <laughs> this is where I feel there's an element of c c uh, corruption in the way in which the royals are reported, where um, Harry's got this massive beef with the way in which the tabloid press cover his family. Now, the royal family need the press to aerate their good work so that they maintain their popularity. You see the circle and the tabloid press need the royal family so that people buy copies of the newspapers to read the soap opera. So one scratches the back of the other. The problem is the members of the press pack all want an insider, an informer, these people, these planters that Harry has an issue with. So to curry favor with members of the royal family, they're obsequious. They always support. So almost everyone in Britain at the moment, all the royal press pack are going, Harry and Meghan are terrible. Harry and Meghan have no right to do anything. They can, shouldn't even really breathe. You know, everything is great about the royal family. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, because you want to maintain your access because then you can sell your biography exclusive access to authorized biography of, you know, I've got the scoop with Camilla, I'm the mole, you know, whatever. And that's corrupting. For me, the only thing I really want is to get access to the Royal Archives so I can work, write about my beloved uh, Queen Marie from 100 years ago. But even that, you see, a lot of the history of our nation is held in the Royal Archives because the king is the successor of our real heads of state, people with real political power who were his ancestors. So, um, but I don't need to, I don't want to be friends with Prince Charles. I'm sure he's charming, but I don't need an extra friend and I don't want to, you know, hang out or hug William. Um, so I'm less compromised than, than, than the press pack are. And that means that we often um, argue to get against each other because I feel I'm more vociferously pushing for reform because I can see that it's needed because actually, you have to appeal to beyond the cult of the conservative press. You have to reach out to younger, broader audiences. And I think that's where the royal family's failing and they're being poorly served by this press pack who are cultishly trying to cling on to their contacts and, and get the, the, la the latest scoop. Do you, see the, the, do you see the corrupting aspect? I do see that. And I'm going to respond to that. I would just say to people, we're going to get into the Q&A in a second, but people in the audience, I want to hear what you think. Uh, Tessa won't be able to see this, but I'll, t I'll tell her what the people are doing. I want you to put a one if you are a monarchist or a pro-monarchist or whatever. Put a two if you're anti and put a three if you're sort of undecided and on the fence. 
I think that I can't see it as a bit culty. Why do you have control? You're like the you're like the ringmaster. I don't design bloody stream yard or whatever, do I? I don't know how it all, all works. Maybe you can. Maybe maybe. No, you no. Um, the queen could say, "Not my fault. I was the queen." Yeah, well, maybe you can if you <laughs> learn Sorry. how to use the bloody web page. Um, it's probably there on the side if you click live or chat or something like that. But I don't want to spend the next ten minutes explaining it to you. We are getting a big mix, which I actually quite like, because uh, that's what it should be, right? There's a grey zone. As for what you've said, I think the royal family, just from my little perspective here, is in a bit of a bind because they, on the one hand, as you say, they need to appeal to more people and sort of young, hip people or whatever. And you get a lot of that in William and Harry and Charles saying these quite woke things or or maybe woke's the wrong word, actually, but progressive, and which is which a lot of it's good. A lot of it is like a, a move in the right direction, right, from the Tsar tsarist russia to the bolsheviks or whatever they are yeah. um however yeah, but we were never as bad as the Tsars. well like maybe not but, but, <laughs> but however the issue is here they're appealing then to the very people who would most abhor the idea of a monarchy that if they're going to do this sort of lefty so i don't think they can really win they have to go a bit left i think maybe their best way is to stay snobbish stay quite exclusive and, and maybe a bit conservative and at least keep those people on board. Because, if you know, if you lose them, then you're screwed. I still think they need to be bulletproof. So that household, you know, the obsequious ones that are like fungus, I think some of them need to be broken up a bit. I, you, so in future, you can't be accused of really obvious stuff like racism. You know, get your quotas up. Buckingham Palace should have just a few more black people working in it. Is that so difficult in London, which is a really diverse city? No, because then it will be, what's it called? Um, um, tokenism. No, it won't be tokenism the next time you... It's not. It's not tokenism. The, the public sector and schools and everything, they, everyone has to have a certain degree of diversity. Is that a good look, by the way? Is that a good look, black, black people serving the, the white royal family? The, the whole... the whole. I just don't... I don't think they can do anything. Right, ever, let's move on to Q&A. People... Do you think they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't? Is that what you're saying? That they're... I... Th I I think they are, and I think it's because because so I'm not even having a go at the royal family. I'm just saying they are in a very difficult uh, situation now, and I don't feel too sorry for them for that. Whenever anyone says, "Well, oh, bloody royals," it's so easy for them. I don't no, think it's it not. is easy it's for them because they're having to hold on to something they've got. Whereas you and me, we're building from ground zero. Yeah. No, you're right. You're you right. I, I say this all the time. I, it's so important being able to. I think experience. They say experience lasts like actual an experience is two seconds long, and how how much you like and enjoy that experience depends entirely on the two seconds preceding it and and following on from it and that's life that's your entire life so if you are born at, at a like 10 out of 10 you can only go down from there so it is i think it is hard um donna riai says andrew the pc movement taking i'm not pc pc who says pc anymore Are you in the 90s like health and safety right uh i'll start asking questions i've got some tessa keep the answers quite short i think that sounded like a valid question what the piece? Yeah, I thought that PC question was quite. I interesting. Thought they were having a go People at me. People do still use the word politically correct. Yeah, but politically correct, it means. Yeah, because well, for you, do we not say that anymore? Well, no. Well, maybe your um gen generation. <laughs> maybe your generation. Right? No, you're the same generation as me. We're the same age. Oh, ageism. No, no, we're no. not. I need a facelift. I hate you this look, envision Tessa, stuff. You look wonderful. People have been saying it in the chat all night how lovely you look. Right. Do you think, speaking of looks... Oh, stop No, it. they are. They're saying they love you. Do, yeah. do you think Harry looks happy? It says J-A-T. This few. Uh, Harry's a really interesting point. Um, I've got to keep this really quick and short and tight. Harry and Meghan have one thing in common. They had an unhappy childhood. Both of them had... An, oh, oh, that, that's incontrovertible. You know, they had a real messed up childhood. And I think that they may have found something together 
where he sort of found this kind of almost mother figure. She's clearly quite a strong woman. And I think he feels he's certainly got to say he's happy. I think he's definitely deeply in love with Megan. That I, I'm absolutely sure of. It's a genuine love. I, I find it weird to say on the one hand, you know, I, I miss my family. I want to be, see, I love my brother. I don't see my king, you know, my, my father. And then to say you're happy. That's a bit missing. There's a bit of the jigsaw. And he almost said it. Like, I thought he looked a bit possessed, actually, bless him. In some of those interviews, like he was, he does protest too much. I'm happy. I'm happy, Tom Bradbury. No, I'm really happy. God damn you. (laughs) Who does that sound like, Tessa, if not Tom Cruise on Oprah's couch? I don't watch Tom Cruise. And I only watch Oprah when there's royals on it. Would you, hang on, you remember that when he jumped, when he jumped on the couch? Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, he ate the placenta, didn't he? Ate some baby, and then he jumped uh, I, I, on it. I think he did something like that. Right, we've got one from... What's that a difference? It might have been him. Nosferatu the Vampire asks, Dr. Tessa, how do you get your bangs, which is a fringe in American English, so spot on? Oh, uh, well, actually, um, I went on a, a TV show tonight, and I said to the girl, they're too, they're too long. And so, um, and, and, but she didn't have time to trim them. But this is what I do, because it needs to cut, but I'm too... Me- I, I have a shaky hand. I drink too much. And um, I can't afford the hairdresser, so I do this. Mm. And I don't do Botox. I have to have a long fringe. So let me just hold my hold my hold my forehead yeah, briefly. Yeah, yeah. There we are. And then and that really actually does lift just before just before I go on air. Look, see? Do you see how it lifts it a bit? Jan Kubik says, Kubis, did Tessa ever go to the Studio Fifty Four nightclub in the eighties? I don't know what that is. Did we snog? I don't know. Jan? Did you, did you go there? Not that I remember, but most things I did in the 90s, I'd have a very clear memory. Will asked, uh, oh, I can't see on my screen because it's so small. I think it says Mule 55. Did he get stripped of his title? Mule, I can read them. Did he get stripped of his title? Say Suddenly the username as well. Um, okay. Mule 55. Um, uh, I don't think he, I'm absolutely certain he won't. The Duke of Windsor, that's the late abdicated king, never did. It would look very mealy-mouthed. I'd be deeply disappointed. You don't have to work to be a Duke. There's no kind of behavioural, there's no code there. We're talking about the cult. Weirdly, that's why you don't have to adhere to anything, really. You just get this gifted, this title, and off you go. You're set for life. And Megan loves that title. You know, she did that big interview with the cult, and they put it out there on social media and stuff, and she immediately contacted them. She said, I'm not, you know, Megan Markle, I'm actually the Duchess of Sussex. <laughs> Even though they're never going to move back to England, by the way. Oh, please note. I've got that focus. No, you look great. Jennifer B says, do you think Harry and Meghan will divorce? And would Harry be accepted back by Charles and William? I'm sure you're always going to accept your kith and kin back. I don't think any of them are bad men. You know, it's this big strain, isn't it? Being, you know, the head of state and all that jazz and, and, and part of the household. And um, I, I'm sure they would accept um, him back. Um, he's put conditions down on needing an apology. I think that that's a stretch. Um, do I think they'll divorce? I can tell you that I think they are besotted or certainly harry is besotted with megan at the moment now i don't know what the tra- i don't know what the record is you know is it better to go into a marriage a bit like william and, and kate where you've done sort of 10 years and you've got over the kind of rotting and the starry eyes and it's just kind of trundling along as a relationship is is it better that or is it better to, to be totally in love which is likely to last longer i don't know i i if i had to bet I'm not saying it's a better marriage in any way or necessarily a more faithful one or anything, but I think that I bet on William and Kate's lasting the course more likely to than Harry and Meghan's. That doesn't mean I think that any of them will split up, but, but Kate and William are, are monarchists and they know that marriage is essential to support monarchy. So they've got an extra incentive to stay together. Does that make sense? At the moment, so do Harry and Meghan, but will that last? Hope Hart, do you really believe the Queen never hugged her grandson? That would be um, a little weird if she never did. 
She certainly wasn't very tactile. Um, Harry definitely makes out in spare that, um, you know, he wanted to hug his granny and, 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 and sort of didn't like to. And certainly Diana tried to hug the queen and sort of missed or got shoved off or something went horribly wrong. Um, it just wasn't, I mean, these kids, are, they, they, you know, the upper classes bring up their children at a distance. Although interestingly, the queen had quite an intimate relationship with her parents. But I think it would be fair to say that she wasn't MTF, must touch flesh. And I wouldn't be surprised if she didn't to give them big bear hugs. No, that, was, that wasn't really the Queen's style. She invested in them in other ways. And wasn't, there wasn't a lack of love. It was just the way in which it was expressed. I mean, you know, we don't kiss like the French kiss. Does that mean the English love each other's other less? You know, we don't, in, in America, they're much more free and easy with, you know, have a nice day and all that goodwill. But does, does that mean they really care for each other more? I, I don't think you need to um, express yourself physically to feel a keen sense of devotion. I'm sure the Queen was devoted to uh, a controversial one from Mac and Cheese. Has anyone heard about how Meghan changed the world with her laundry detergent commercial? She only mentioned it 500 times. And I would just add to that, that did wind me up a bit because that was the podcast she did with Serena Williams. And she kept saying about what a feminist she and Serena and what they had done for women. And I thought, I can see what Serena has done because she's just the most wonderful athlete in all this. And I thought, but but Meghan's just married a prince, which which isn't that an inversion of, of what, what feminism's about. Well, except Mag Megan had to get to a position in which she then was available for the prince to find her or think that she was worth knowing. You know, he she, she had to get herself to a position where she was baggable by a prince. So that took some work. So I think um, fair play to Megan. Uh, yeah, I have heard about the commercial. I mean, Megan's a she's a show. She's a show girl insofar as she 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 wears her success, and that's how she grew up. It's very different from from monarchy who who do the opposite. They bestow medals and honors and titles. But they are, are more discreet, aren't they? And, and, and so that, that, that's why I think now the twain shall meet, why there was this unspoken breakdown. I think all the press focus on bridesmaids' dresses and all the sort of ridiculous soap opera. But actually, it was just this giant kind of cultural, too repelling magnets that it's never going to really hit it off, I don't think. Louise Shears, uh, what does Tessa think about H talking about Camilla? I think that's Louise Shires, Might be. but I'm happy to be Might corrected. Be. Um, uh, I do. I think. I think that th there were the bits. The book's very well written and it's very compelling. And like I said, it made me feel. Oh my goodness! I shouldn't really be reading this stuff. Like I, sh you know, it's always. Oh my god! I, I'm not like to know anything about the Queen. <laughs> um, but um, I, I, I didn't need to be quite quite as mean. He, I mean, he stitched up his brother and as his mother-in-law without a doubt. I do know that Camilla does have some quite keen or certainly robust relationships um, with players in the tabloid press. Um, they all like her very much. And she, the reason why in Britain we think Camilla's okay now is because for quite a lot of years, we may not have been aware of it, but we've been subconsciously actually overtly told by the tabloid, she's rather a good egg who likes gin and fags. And don't we all love a good old girl who likes gin and fags? I think there's less affection for her outside of Britain in the realms and the Commonwealth. And I think that's where she may come unstuck. And Harry hasn't helped. But Harry, you know, he, he got this, this book is about the losing his mother. And Camilla was never was always going to be on a sticky wicket. And remember, unlike William, in the, if you're going to go down the cult line, William has the bigger goal of monarchy. That's what he's holding out for. That's why he's going to accept Camilla. He's going to help his father because he wants to inherit his, his destiny. Where's for William? Yeah, he doesn't. He's not hidebound by that, so he can say what he likes about Camilla. Moonchild Dragon, thank you for the, the tip. I will share it with um, Tessa. Uh, Moonchild Dragon says Harry's a sociopath. The book shows it. He killed 25 people, but it was part of the army, right? 
Yeah, that um, people were really shocked by that. And again, that was the kind of the tab dr the driven by the tabloid narrative. I mean, every SAS book, um, they may be shunned by their military family when they go public and go, I did this and that, Andy McNabb or whatever. But, th th you know, they, they, they make lots of money off the back of kind of talking about their heroics and their dangerous deeds and their, their death count. So uh, I didn't really think that Harry endangered himself any more than he's currently feeling exposed. We know that Harry killed players of the Taliban. It was reported at the time. We didn't know exactly how many, but he was Apache helicopter um, pilot, for goodness sake. I mean, if he hadn't, he would have been a pretty dud, <laughs> a, a dud guy you know, God, with tax funded to go over there and you know, to take out the enemy and all come back. I failed that mission. I suppose re revealing it might be seen as taunting and sort of put a sign on his and his family's head. Uh, it, it's Counter to military thinking, absolutely. And it's vulgar. It's a bit like, you know, the Megan, oh, I'm rich and you know, I'm American and I'm wearing it. But Harry's outside the institution of the British Army now, just like he's outside the institution of monarchy. And he's got to pave his own way financially. Because the one thing we know is if he's leaving the cult, and surely you know this about cults, but if you're leaving the royal family, you want to show that you're doing just as well. No, 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 no. You're doing better on the outside. Well, the only way he can measure that success really is two things. One, having platforms and relevance. And at the moment, he's certainly hogging the narrative. And the other is by having enough money to sustain the way of life that you've grown accustomed to and you were born into. So the more meat he put on the bone and, and stuff like, you know, secrets about his military service, that didn't, it didn't surprise me or shock me. I can see that his military comrades felt let down by it, but he's sold out of that life. I've got another another uh, tip there from Kerry Johnson. Thank you very much. Um, and she says people who love family don't hurt each other. Not sh I'm not sure. As, you know, I, I respectfully uh, disagree. I think I think family who love each other hurt each other quite quite in a great deal, don't they? Yeah. yeah, it's a really fine line between love and hate, isn't there? As well, it's like the way you can feel so strongly. I mean, you look at William, and he looks pretty innocuous with his little bald head and his kind of polar necks and stuff. And there's Harry, like, and I'm like, oh yeah, of course they're siblings. Oh, yeah. And I remember like, it, just this Christmas, you know, I didn't really want my mom to come to stay, but I was buggered if my brother was going to get her. That's very typical of, of families. I'm sure people would have similar experiences. Um, I would just, I would say, um, put a one in the chat, everyone, if you want to get Tessa back on to discuss more of this royal madness and things. Oh, that's unfair. Put her too, if you don't want her to come back on. Uh, and and oh. in the meantime, while you're doing that, Tessa. You've got a book out, don't you? Yeah. Can I just tell you that I used to lecture on cruise ships and at the end of the cruise, they made all the guests fill in a form saying how much they liked the guest speakers. It was awful because I mean, you couldn't read to anyone. Oh. It was like literally, and also on those big, you know, ships, they're like total Daily Mail, you know, like you have to like tramp the line. And I was like, I wonder how they're greeting me. I've had a smile, smile. And if my daughter, like they'd all, I took my daughter on board with me and she's quite little and they'd talk to her and she'd kind of go like this. You know how children do when old people approach them? She'd be like, oh. And, and I'm like, smile. <laughs> I can't believe you just asked me to be graded. Let me tell you something, Tessa. What do you think? It's about pretty much 100% one way. Which way do you think it is? I'm not even answering, but I just want to say finally, because it's the one thing we haven't addressed and that's been, I've been very shocked by. The trolling on either side is horrific because most people, the royal pack, only are polite about royalty predominantly. And the Harry and Meghan obsessives, you know, they're all about Harry and Meghan and, you know, they're, they're, everything they say is right and it's their truth. And I sometimes criticize Harry and Meghan in, in my historical thesis and sometimes they're all family. And so I've received it from both sides. It's vitriolic. It's relentless. It's deeply 
deeply personal. I can't tell you the things I've been, I couldn't repeat them. You'd be taken off air. And that is, I, I find it, that is, does feed into the broader cultural wars. And that's why I worry about monarchy, that it's suddenly become a vehicle that fuels the cultural wars as opposed to sitting above it. Oh, the lovely impartial queen. Well, she's floated off to heaven, hasn't she? So what are we left with? A bloody mess. Bloody hell. Well, there you go. Um, but I was just going to say it's all ones. And that's pretty, it's not bad, which means, which means they do want oh. to come back on. That's not bad for YouTube, is it? Yeah. I, can I say that Andrew, I've been waiting to come on Andrew's podcast for ages and he can, I don't know, you're not, you're not a Scientologist. Well, no, Andrew, exactly. Oh, well, now you've gotten big headed. I shouldn't have told you that. All the big headed comes out now. Put some twos, everyone, please. Write a few twos now. Bring her back down to earth. <laughs> I'm Megan's cousin. Uh, Meg's cousin. Right, Tess, we're going to go a second. Tell us about your book. Can you see it? Yeah. It's Elizabeth and Philip. And it's much better than Harry's. Actually, I've got to say, Moringa does a really good job. I wish I could say it's much better than Harry's. I think it whips along. It's not like other obsequious, um, uh, you know, those awful sort of secret books written by royalty, that the fungus. But, and so it is critical light of, of Elizabeth and Philip and some of the systems, et cetera. Although, you know, as I said, I'm a monarchist. But I've got to also say that um, Harry's book is it's exquisitely ghostwritten. It's a wonderful historical document that'll be around for hundreds of years. And I envy historians in a hundred years coming to it because it, it's a delight. Mm. They'll be sitting in the library like this. Oh my God. Oh my God, the page turner. As opposed to falling asleep. Yeah, yeah. It'd be like Sam, Samuel Pepys's book, I guess, like the really, you know, when he was, um, oh, again, I can't. Absolutely. I can't even say yeah. what he was doing in the church. Uh, look up what Samuel Pepys. He was coming at them. Yeah. Can I not think? Well, he was coming at them with a with a bag of flowers. Okay. I mean, come on, we know it. He's coming at the women. You've, you've got He's we've gotten notorious. through like an hour and a half, Tessa. If you if you came out with something that would get it taken off right at the end, it is the, the, the honestly, it is so sensorial. It's insane. It is and it's getting worse. Um, but look at that from Nosferatu. Now I really like her. Look at that, and look at this. She looks like Olivia Newton John. Not not now, hopefully. Oh, but uh, John's. I've got a floral. She's dead, is she, Olivia? Well, I'll take her space. Do you know, sometimes people think if I work with old women, I mainly do oral history, by the way. I did my old women are all in this book, incidentally, because they all grew up like the queen. But um, one day they ring me and they say, you're on telly. And I'm like, no, I'm really not. I'm sitting in my living room. No, no, you're on telly. And I switched on the telly and it was Joanna Lumley. And I'm like, but actually she's 30 years older than Phyllis. But thanks for that. Americans won't know who that is. They will know who Joanna Lumley is. You know what, there is a woman who looks like you in something called mother motherhood or something, mother... No, she's another land. She does not look she's like got, me. I'm pretty She's got the hair. Sorry. Though. I'm just saying. <laughs> she's, a, she's an attractive lady. No, Cameron Diaz is better looking than me. I'm sorry to, that sounds really luxurious, but you know when you do compare yourself, don't you? <sighs> and um, but the one in Motherland, I don't think. This has been a beautiful, beautiful in uh, interview. The ending on a lipless note. <laughs> but Cameron Diaz, I do think she's quite epic. So I'll take, I've just said, I've just likened myself to Karen Dad. Did you notice me doing that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. You look like when you put your hair up a little bit. Cut me now. With the hair up. Cut yeah, me. we should, right. No, I, I can't afford Botox. Cut me. Right. Cut, we will cut. cut you. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Make sure to hit like if you haven't already liked it. Get Tessa's book. She's given up loads of time. She's on demand. She's on all the bloody TV shows and all these things, and she's given it up. She hasn't mentioned Jeremy Carl enough times tonight, has she? She's been in all those things. All and all you you know you can help her you can also you can enjoy the book because i've read it and it's brilliant so it's in the description there's a little link to it or just just search for it, elizabeth and philip t dr tessa dunlop she deserves you guys as an audience and join me on tiktok i have a bigger following than andrew on tiktok yeah, she does i don't know how that is join both of us on tiktok and support this show on patreon.com slash andrew gold that's also in the description thing get out of here good night everyone we love you <laughs>
Thank you, Dr. Tessa Dunlop, for coming on. Please go check out Elizabeth and Philip, The Story of Young Love, Marriage and Monarchy. It's a fantastic book. She's a great writer. She's an even better historian and friend and, and whatever else, podcast guest, I should say. Big guests coming up soon. Erin Smith-Levin is back on about the end of Scientology. Coleman Hughes, Emma Thorne, Helen Lewis. Oh, there's just a huge list I've got in front of me. And, you know, I want to reveal all the names, but it's just going to sound like a list of names, which is not that exciting to listen to. But I hopefully we'll see you when those episodes come out.